we found a piece of the Battle of Gettysburg in Northeast Nebraska. Come join us now, the latest episode of Midwest Ghost Town. All right, Dan here back with another episode of Midwest Ghost Town. And really, this is going to be an extension of the video that we just kind of put out here this last week, where we were exploring or found the ghost town of LaPorte, Nebraska, which is roughly anywhere from three to five miles to the east of Wayne, Nebraska, or to the southeast of Wayne, Nebraska. And really, there's nothing left of that ghost town, and that video kind of goes into that, shows that. But what is left, thank, thankfully for the protection of cemeteries in our country, a lot of towns might be gone, but the cemeteries are left, and that is exactly what is left in Laporte, is there is a pioneer cemetery, the Laporte Cemetery, that is left. And of course, you can catch that video if you haven't had a chance to see it yet. You can go back on my YouTube channel and go check out that video as well. So Laporte, Nebraska. Let's go into this a little bit. Because obviously the segment that we have titled this, Finding the Battle of Gettysburg in Northeast Nebraska, we're going to be talking about a character that was in that battle. And that's going to be probably one half of this episode. So the first part, there's going to be two segments. The first part is going to be talking about some other characters, I should say, or people that we found in the cemetery. I want to tell you a little bit about their story. And really stories is what really makes this whole thing rich, right? You can go to a place, you can go to a town and that's fine. But the history and the stories of the people that are there and the legacies they left behind really are what really makes up history. And so here we are, we are outside of Wayne, Nebraska. We're searching for the ghost town, knowing that it's pretty much plowed up a field, searching for the cemetery, we find it. And as we're exploring and we're walking through the cemetery, the first part of the segment is we run into several names. So we run into the grave of Nathaniel Allen. And why this is such a big one to really kind of start out the segment for is because immediately I knew this was a big grave because I saw that there was a war marker there that he was a veteran from the War of 1812. Now this kind of caught my eye because I was thinking about just the length of time and how old Nathaniel Allen had to have been to be the pioneer that came out from the east and worked his way, migrated west. And we know that this whole thing happened from a migration pattern, basically starting from Abe Lincoln really kind of going in and really signing the Homestead Act. So we know that once Abraham Lincoln signed that, he kickstarted this whole movement to encourage pioneers to travel westward. They're really kind of hoping that they would be granted um, so many acres, and I don't have my notes in front of me right now. I want to say it was 170 acres. If I'm wrong on that, you can leave that in the notes. But the promise that for five years they had to farm that. So there was this westward expansion, pioneers getting free land, and so people were moving westward. Let's get out to Nebraska. Let's grab this land, why it's hot. And, of course, Nathaniel Allen was part of that. Now, the story that I researched on him is that he was an old soldier of the War of 1812, he came west after being mustered out of the service and took up his title to a land grant 
in Pawpaw Grove, Illinois. So we know that this group of pioneers that came out and established LaPorte, Nebraska, came from Illinois. Those who knew Nathaniel Allen say that they remember his recital of his trip west. So it was a really big deal. I mean, he was in his 80s, right? When you really look at how old he was. And of his aversion to the mudflats, quotation, the mudflats, which is where Chicago now stands. So some of this group really were around the Chicago area and then further south as they migrated across Iowa and over to Nebraska. So Nathaniel Allen, he was a he was a big character. The next one that I found, and it's really just kind of goes to set, to show just how sad it is for those who in the hardship of those who lived on the prairie. Other videos I've had talks about grasshoppers, and there's blizzards and stories of floods and other hardships. The story kind of goes on and on and on. And this one is the hardship of a prairie fire. So the next grave that I kind of found that really intrigued my interest to know what what happened here was really the the story of mrs w e duran and her daughter and her daughter's name was anna and it was custom especially for laporte that they would have furrows that had been plowed around laporte for its own protection right a prairie fire comes along and it'll wipe out your town in a heartbeat so to protect the homes they had plowed furrows around it, but early on October 13th, there was a huge prairie fire that swept from the southwest. It headed for the little settlement, and there were approximately 40 men struggling frantically to stop the fire. They were working hard on it. The fire, according to record, rose 40 feet into the air, if you can imagine that. You know, I go outside and I see telephone poles, and that kind of gives you an idea of just how high, you know, this wall of fire was, was shooting up. Uh, Mrs. Duran and Anna seeing the blaze because Anna would have been about 10 years old at the time. They headed for their home, went to help fight it. And in that process, the two were caught in the flames and overcome by the heat and the smoke. Now it says that Mrs. Duran, um, her dress caught fire. She tripped, she fell and was, and was burned badly. Um, and of course, when the wind came up, the fire, of course, went to Coon Creek, and it finally died out. But Mrs. Dern and her daughter, who were badly burned in that fire, died a few hours later. So just some more tragedy as you kind of read about these stories. But I really just kind of think it really paints a picture just of how hard it was to live out there. There are some more stories, of course. Um, the story, and there's actually three stories that kind of account to blizzards that were buried there. Um, the story of Oscar Harmon. He um, was caught in a severe blizzard in the spring of 1870. It says here that the little caravan, when they first moved there, there was about 13 families coming from Illinois that spring to settle on homesteads. And as they experienced flooding and waters that forced them to change their course, the river crossing was, was a hard enough task by itself. He went out to um, the community or the area of Homer, Nebraska, and he stayed there for a little bit because he wanted to get supplies. On his way back, he was caught in a blizzard, and Oscar Harmon froze to death. So that, that was a tragic one. It wasn't the only one, however, as, of course, there are other stories as well. Going back to the, to the Dern family, for example, 
they were caught in a fire, Anna and her mother. Anna's older brother, previously, he was caught in a blizzard and died. So the Durns really had, had went through a lot of hardship. According to record, Mr. Dern, who also passed away before this, of tree branch fell on him, according to some records. So I think sometimes we kind of take it for granted. You know, here like, oh, it's a blizzard, so we got the day off. Or we can't go out today, but there, you know, it's life or death. And there's many stories that have some serious accounts. Um, I can't tie them necessarily to ghost towns, but I know one that I believe was 1888. You know, you hear about the school, the school kid blizzard or the, or the school children blizzard, as it was known as, you know, this blizzard that hit South Dakota, Minnesota, Iowa, Nebraska, and it's on record, you know, you can go out and you can Google this. I want to say it was like 300 and some kids um, died in that blizzard. What happened? You know, that blizzard, they were coming home from school and the blizzard hit immediately. And as they were walking home, they got lost. They couldn't see, you know, many stories like that. So blizzards were, you know, were a, a big thing. And so the the Durin boy, he he also got caught in a blizzard and died. So and this is all here in the cemetery. So it was pretty, pretty interesting to kind of, research the stories another one that we're going to talk about in this first segment and stick with me because the second segment is where gettysburg is going to take center stage and it's quite the story so please bear with me and if you want i'm going to chapter this one up if you wanted to speed to it that's fine but you want to hear about the character who i'm going to talk about in that segment uh, his name is enoch we're going to talk about his brother william hunter his older brother and he actually had two older brothers but in this case, William was, was buried there, and he was a Civil War veteran as well. And it's quite interesting because I, I had some question marks. I didn't know. I, I ran into this war marker that said GAR, right? G-A-R, the acronym. And I immediately, of course, what's that? Looked it up. And so it means the Grand Army of the Republic. So if this is the first time you heard that, I thought, that's pretty interesting. It's an organization that it really takes note of Civil War veterans, and they put a marker there. And of course, it's kind of like anything like today, where they have different chapters of things. They would have officers elected and so forth, and that it was their responsibility just to to support and to recognize and that kind of thing. And so this marker was left at William Hunter's grave. So I knew he was a Civil War veteran, but when I read the tombstone. It clearly said that he was a Civil War veteran and that he served in the 4th Illinois Cavalry. Now, that's interesting. So you go out and you study, what's the 4th Illinois Cavalry? And of course, that's when you learn about all the different engagements that they were in. And um, there's another one that they're kind of linked to, and they're linked to the 12th Illinois Cavalry. Later on, way past some of the early engagements in the Civil War, they do eventually merge together. And they're in some later campaigns in the Civil War. But for this sake, we're just going to talk about William Hunter and basically him as a character. So he is a Civil War veteran. He survives that. He comes back, and of course, the same with his brothers. He heads out west with his uh, dad and his two brothers, and they take advantage of getting that free land, and they basically build, you know, the town. And so here they are, they're out in the country. William, 
is the third person that dies in a blizzard. And I thought, wow, that's sad for one thing. He was older, you know, he was um, clearly in his 40s when that happened. And he actually, um, he was heading on November 1871. So hadn't even been there very long. Um, William Hunter, Albert Minor, and W.H. Allen went to the Indian reservation some miles south, southeast of their home. They went there for wood. When they were returning, they were caught in a blizzard, which had come up suddenly. The men came separated. Hunter was frozen to death, but the others reached their homes of some friends. So the other two survived. Um, what I thought was really interesting in that was that I do know in some more research about Albert Minor, it's talked about how he actually lost his feet. Um, they were amputated um, due to being frozen. So just some tragic stories there. But when you walk the cemetery, which I did, the Hunter family clearly overwhelms the cemetery. There's about 30 some, maybe 36 graves. Over half of them, easily 17, maybe 18 of them are children. And I would go grave by grave and I would see some that were 12 days and I would see another one that was 28 days and then I would see another grave marker that it was a two-year-old and then a seven-year-old and then I'd go down to the next one and I would see a child you know Anna who was 10 and so forth and you get the picture just about how hard it was and you ask the question like what happened and disease was prevalent there's no doubt about that I know I talked in my video I can't remember if I added this out or not but smallpox um, yellow fever I can go on and on and on about all the diseases that were facing pioneers. And they were not, you know, special by any means here at Laporte. They wouldn't have hit the same kind of um, hardships. So that's kind of the first segment, just talking about those. And I really want to get to the most important part. Let's get to our next character where we're going to talk about Enoch Hunter right after this. Hey there, this is Dan with Midwest Ghost Town. Hey, just want to talk just a little bit about the possibility of having you subscribe or follow along. First off, I just want to thank those who have followed along. It's, it's awesome having the support. And really, I kind of look at this entire thing as just a community of having a discussion about history. You can drop a comment. You know, you can subscribe if you want to. But I think the most important thing is just hearing from all of you, maybe hearing some ghost towns that I never even knew existed that maybe are in your area or that you knew of. Um, having that discussion, having that dialogue is so important. So again, I just want to thank those who have followed along. And if you haven't had a chance to subscribe, subscribe, come along on the journey, hit that bell button as well. And let's have a discussion on history. All right, welcome back to the second segment here at Midwest Ghost Town, where we get up and personal with the Battle of Gettysburg. Now, we are not a Civil War channel or a Gettysburg channel, but the story of Gettysburg really is a center stage here because of the story of one of our characters, Enoch Hunter. So we'll get into the story of Enoch Hunter um, here just in a little bit, but I think we really need to just kind of lay the groundwork, 
talk a little bit about the Battle of Gettysburg and um, really just discuss that as a whole. So, if some of you are Gettysburg historians or that really is kind of your cup of tea, this is going to be a delight because we know that um, a lot of work and a lot of history and discussion and research has been done on the Battle of Gettysburg, mainly because it is the deadliest battle um, in terms of casualties in the Civil War. And so it really um, deserves attention that it got. Um, speaking of that, so the Union casualties in that battle numbered 23,000. And while the Confederates also had their losses, they lost nearly 28,000. So when you look at the amount of casualties total, you know, in that war, you're, you're pushing easily over 50,000 deaths at the Battle of Gettysburg. And so it really kind of puts in perspective when you hear that the character that was buried in that cemetery was in that battle and survived it, it puts a whole new appreciation to like, wow, that's pretty impressive. And um, it wasn't that he was just there either. Okay, it was specifically what he was doing in that battle that really intrigued me. So, going back to the Battle of Gettysburg, we know that basically the groundwork, what was happening was, is that General Lee and his, his army, he was basically in the vicinity of Gettysburg, and that army was, was huge, right? 72,000 men. So he was marching, and as he was traveling along, the whole entire time, there's kind of this cat and mouse game going on, right? The Union's trying to find them, and Lee is invading the North. He's like, I'm, I'm not going to wait for you to come south. I'm going to take it to you. So he is, and he is, okay, for lack of better words, he is awesome, right? No one's touching this guy. He is the best. Right? He is the best. He has some of the best um, cavalry. He's got men who are not scared to fight. The long story is even before this, like Stonewall Jackson was considered his right hand man. He had Longstreet, which was considered for a long time his left hand man. And this was like a one, two punch. These, this was just incredible. And basically what's happening, you know, when we talk about eyes and ears of movement in the army and in military. We're talking about that's what the cavalry really is there for. And so Jeb Stewart, who is kind of the popular, the eyes and the ears for General Lee. And in this case, for the Battle of Gettysburg, he is nowhere to be found. I mean, I even heard some historians say that Jeb Stewart was out joyriding, is what was going on. He was like something like 25 miles away from, <laughs> from what was going on. And meanwhile, John Buford, who was a brig the Brigadier General um, of the Union, he, he had cavalry uh, regiments that were out riding long patrolling and in one of these cases they're basically spying they're keeping eyes on as much as they can they, they want to know where lee is and and they run into him right they find him some say that some of the confederates did know that they were seen some say no they didn't that the union really found them and it, and since the union or since the confederates did not know that they were there the Union um, really had one up on them in terms of trying to get the location first. 
the high ground. And so John Buford is really credited for this, that he realizes that the ground or the better battleground that he needed to get was Gettysburg. And so he goes to Gettysburg. He takes over the Lutheran Seminary as his headquarters. He goes up to the tower so he can have, um, or the steeple, excuse me, so he has better use of looking out and seeing what's going on, the formations. And he sets up shop there and he sends word to the Army of the Potomac, hey, we found him. Get here quickly, though, because things are going to start happening. He doesn't know that, for whatever reason, Jeb Stewart hasn't found us yet, and so we're, we're in good shape. And I think that, from my calculations, he's probably heading to Gettysburg. Now, here's what their guess was right. There was a couple things that was really important for the Confederate Army. This is truth, right? The first one was that they wanted to fight, Right. But the second one, and this was probably even more, more important, was they wanted the shop. Now, what do I mean by they wanted the shop? One of the most important things that you could probably get back in those time periods during war was shoes. And so there was the rumor, um, and a lot of truth to the rumor, that they could get those shoes in Gettysburg. Now, I think that a lot of those rumors that there was a shoe factory and all that stuff has been dispelled. But there's people living in Gettysburg. No brainer. And where there's people, there's going to be shoes. And so they're on their way to Gettysburg, and they want shoes. You get 72,000 men, and there's going to be a little bit of uproar. The difference, though, is that they're not on southern turf, and so you're not having a lot of friendly people that are being truthful as far as what's around them. They, didn't, they weren't getting warnings you know, from southerners saying, hey, look out above that ridge. You know, The Union Army's waiting for you. <laughs> right? So, so they're marching, again, blind. They don't know what's over that ridge. They don't, they don't have Jeb Stewart to tell them, look out. The Union's waiting for you. And the Union's didn't, excuse me, the Union Army with Buford, they didn't have the luxury of having the entire army with them, right? So what they had was specifically, they had the 1st Brigade. And immediately, John Buford, um, he had more than that. But in this case, that 1st Brigade which was led by Colonel William Gamble, which was made up by the 8th Illinois Cavalry, the 3rd Indiana Cavalry, the 8th New York Cavalry, and then, ta-da, the 12th Illinois Cavalry. And why this is so important is, if you watch, especially if you watched my last video, you will know that when I looked at that tombstone and when I saw Enoch Hunter, I clearly saw that not only was he a Civil War veteran, but I knew immediately that he fought in the Battle of Gettysburg on the opening day with the 12th Illinois Cavalry. So not only was he there at Gettysburg, but he was there opening day, July 1st, 1863. Enoch Hunter was there, right? And not only was he there, and I'll back up a little bit. Let's talk about the the 12th Illinois Cavalry that was fighting on the opening day of Gettysburg, the one that Enoch Hunter was a part of. He, he was part of that brigade. The total brigade of all the, the uh, regiments I was just talking to you about was anywhere from two, maybe 3,000. It could be a little bit more. Brigades were anywhere from 2,000 to 5,000 soldiers. Okay, But the combined regiments for that 12th Illinois totaled 588 men. And out of that group, they lost four, ten were wounded, six missing. 
That's the 12th Illinois Cavalry. Today, if you were to visit Gettysburg, you will see, especially off that main road, because that's where they, as you're going into Gettysburg, they call it the, the Lincoln, the Lincoln Highway, Lincoln Road. Anyway, that main road leading in, you can see they have a monument that the state of Illinois placed there to this day to, to honor the bravery of the 12th Cavalry. Enoch Hunter. It's amazing when you, you hear because you're like, wow, that's pretty amazing. Well, when you find out that that's not it, that yeah, he was part of the battle. You know, he was there, Gettysburg. And then you hear there's about three or four other ones that he's part of. Um, I think Antietam, you know, was part of that, you know, originally too. And then you, you're like, wow. And he's buried here in the cemetery out in Nebraska. And we're looking at the date and realizing quickly that here is a man that was a soldier in some of the biggest, most violent battles known to man, or known at least in the Civil War. And the Civil War was one of the bloodiest in the time period of it. And he survives and he pioneers out west and he becomes a sheriff actually one of the sheriffs and a leader in the ghost town of Laporte, Nebraska. So pretty amazing stuff. And the, the account of the, of Gettysburg is an interesting one. I encourage you go, go read more about that. In fact, and I'm, it's totally up to you. Okay. But I, I, here's what I did when I was a student at the university of Northern Iowa, I was a history major there and I took a class called the history of warfare and I was pretty stoked to, to take that class. One of the books, okay, that was given to us or that I had to buy, I shouldn't say it was given, nothing's given, right? <laughs> but one of the books that I had to buy was a book by Michael Shara, S-H-A-A-R-A. Many of you may have big, big fans, right? We had to read the book called the killer angels now, this book, and I regret back in school, I probably didn't take it serious enough to sit down and read it, but I have probably read this three or four times since then. This book is great. And immediately upon finding out that the character of Enoch Hunter that I found on the grave in Nebraska was in the Battle of Gettysburg, and he was part of the 12th Illinois Cavalry, immediately I went to the shelf, I pulled off the Killer Angels, and I started reading about some of the characters that surrounded him. And, you know, found out more about Colonel William Gamble and how he was an Irish immigrant. And that that was pretty amazing in itself. But the thing that really, really just kind of caught me off guard was when I found out that the entire Union Army, they weren't there yet. They were quite a ways away, actually. And so things weren't going to really start heating up a lot until day two and day three. So three day battle, right? July 1st, 2nd and 3rd. And what they had to do, this is, this is really interesting, okay? They weren't there to really just have a big battle out with the Confederates. They were there to delay them, right? The cavalry's job or what they were going to do is whether they were going to set up for it, they were going to dismount, okay? And they were going to have some volleys with this army and anything that was going to get them to stop and set up, you know, their formations, 
fire some volleys. You know, that was time that they were buying for troops that were coming up from the south and, and, and troops that were coming up, you know, from different directions from the east. And they're trying to get their main army behind them. And they were successful. They, they did it. You know, a lot of people say that, that Buford's genius was getting the right ground and getting his smaller Confederate, excuse me, his smaller cavalry unit of the 588 men, including the others, to slow him down, right? He had much more um, at stake that could have went, you know, haywire. But um, the other thing that was credited was that the 12th, had a special weapon that they had. And this is pretty cool, especially if those who love like weapon history and and the history of guns and rifles, right? So as you study this, you will realize that that John Buford's cavalry troopers were armed with the Spencer carbine. The Spencer carbine a lot of, a lot of the times is credited for helping repel wave after wave of Confederate infantry. And there really cannot be, it can't really be dispelled enough that the, the contributions of the Spencer was huge to the Union victory. And it wasn't even limited to just July 1st, but in our case, because our story really does center around July 1st, we know that our character, Enoch Hunter, had in his possession the Spencer carbine. Now that was a repeating rifle. Right, so before that time, you you knew that if you were just using a standard rifle or musket, that you you had to load it right from the front, and then and that was the key, right, the front, and so it wasn't very um, conducive to a to a really successful um, battle endeavor by the Confederates, but it sure helped Enoch survive, and he definitely definitely had that. So. So I thought, that, again, this was all history in the making right there in Northeast Nebraska. And story after story of these can be said and can be told and can be learned. And it's just a valuable part of our history. And it's just something that we love to do here and we love to tell here at Midwest Ghost Town. <laughs>